panel that we're going to call up in just a second. I have a couple things I want to share prior uh, to that. Uh, in this series we've been doing out of Nehemiah, it, the, the object, the, the reason uh, why I teach the Bible the way I do is I believe that I'm called of God to equip you to be able to go into the community and be a living demonstration of the gospel. I, I believe that we wrestle a lot of um, the vestiges of, uh, of Christianity here in the, in the Bible Belt South, just things that are sort of hanging on that are in our culture that really are not good, clear pictures. They kind of are fuzzy. It's sort of like the old CB radio days when you had to adjust the squelch button because there was so much <laughs> coming through the line you couldn't hear. Well, if you can translate that into a picture or a visual, maybe how we've had problems this morning with our media system and being able just to get a clear representation of something up on the screen in front of you, I believe many times there is confusion in the church and in the community uh, about what the gospel means. Martin Luther said it this way. He said in the, in the Reformation, he said, uh, a Christian cobbler doesn't, uh, isn't a good shoemaker because he puts crosses on the shoes. Now think about this. Luther said that a Christian cobbler, shoemaker, isn't a good Christian shoemaker because he puts crosses on the shoes. He's a good Christian shoemaker because he makes the highest quality of shoes possible. Are y'all with me? Now, in this um, pluralistic society in which we live, there are seasons in our past that we celebrate where it was much easier to be very open about the gospel. And you really had kind of what we would call a homogenous society. That no longer is the case in our nation. And so we have to be sensitive to uh, the backgrounds and the cultures and possibly the different expressions of Christianity. But let's step outside that. Even the different... Uh, allegiances that folk may have to other religions. And we have freedom of religion in the United States of America. The men and women we celebrate in memorial this weekend died so that we could have that kind of freedom. It wasn't just so Christians could be free. It was so everybody could be free. Come on, somebody say amen. And so when we start talking about how we can practically take the gospel into the community, it doesn't mean getting a fistful of tracks and thumping somebody over the head with your Bible. It means being the best at what you do. It means having a spirit of excellence about uh, whatever it is that you are pursuing. If you're a business person, an entrepreneur, if you're a teacher, you teach to the glory of God while you may not quote scripture, certainly, in a public school setting. Okay, are you with me? And you teach in order to, as a matter of fact, the kingdom of God is all about bringing order. Everybody say order. order. Uh, when, when God spoke to the creation in chaos, he said, light be. In the middle of the darkness, light appeared, and he began to speak things into order, out of chaos. Now, there are all kinds of things that are in opposition to the mission of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, very simply, is the government of God or the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, what that means is, is that when I, not just as a pastor, it's not about Sunday, one day a week, taking the Bible and opening Scripture and then sharing with you something, a principle that you can shout about for one day that's not relevant to the rest of your life the other six days a week. 
we want to intensely, we want to make this intensely practical. And part of our mission, we have several values, one of which is to equip, everybody say equip, to equip Christ's followers to lead in every area of life. Say that with me. Equip Christ's followers to lead in every area of life. So when we do series like Nehemiah, it is about looking to a historical occurrence, a memoir from a guy who was a cupbearer who became a builder, who became a governor, and we glean principles from that that can help us be better teachers, better policemen, better business owners, better moms at home, uh, better community leaders, so that we can see what's broken in our community and that we can have a vision and a plan and a strategy. Everybody say a strategy. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people what? People perish. So we know the importance of vision, but I want you to hear this today. This is my one thought that I'm going to call the panel. A vision without a strategy is a fantasy. You can have all kinds of vision or potential views of the future in this room, but if you never take action, it is nothing more than a fantasy. You're chasing a fantasy. If you don't have goals that are latter step progress toward the completion of that vision. Everybody, one more time, say strategy. So a vision without a strategy is a fantasy. But too many times we have served in religious experiences and we've had a strategy when we haven't had a clear picture of the vision. And a strategy without a vision is drudgery. Just doing something you don't know why. Are you following me? It's like the three guys on the job site, and the guy goes by and asks him and says, the first one, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm just digging a ditch. I just can't wait to get out of here. I hate this job. He goes and he sees another guy who's got a smile on his face, and he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm laying a foundation. And there's another guy on the other side of the same, very same job site, and he says, what are you doing? And he's whistling and he's singing, and there's joy all over him, and he says, I'm building a cathedral. All three of those men were working on the very same job site. One was digging a ditch, one was laying a foundation, one was building a cathedral. There was not a stone had been erected yet, but they were all down in a pit digging tunnels or whatever you call it, ditches, in order to be able to lay the footers for a cathedral. But every one of them had a different understanding of the vision of why they were there. So if we have a strategy and a vision, then we have a destiny that's in front of us. We can accomplish something great for the kingdom of God and a vision that has been acted on with a strategy becomes a legacy that you can put into the hands of your children and your children's children. And so this morning I want to invite to the platform, I'm going to invite our youngest first. This young man has accomplished great things, student body, I'm sorry, not student body, but student council president of Marion Junior High, Marion High School, and uh, graduated valedictorian blew the top out of the ACT, and it's got a full ride, complete, I believe it's called the Chancellor's Scholarship, is that right? To University of Arkansas. Come on, Ben Baser, join us on the platform. <laughs> and if I can get my sound people, let's make sure we spread out these four microphones but among these seven on our panel, okay? Now let me just say this. There I am so proud of, and I have great respect for everyone in our congregation, there's some amazing winners in this congregation, all of which could be on this panel this morning, but these are the ones that we're going to hear from. I'm excited about supporting them. If you have questions today, as the panel is being set, we will put on the screen uh, a, a number where you can text in a question. Please keep them pertinent to the discussion of leadership in the community, vision, 
strategy, things that relate to Nehemiah, what you've gotten out of this series. Okay, next I'd like to invite Dr. Chelsea Hedge to the platform. Give her a hand. Chelsea obviously works in the medical community, and as a person who sees uh, the ministry of the kingdom of God, it's about helping sick people become well. That certainly is putting order where there was disorder, okay? Next, I would like to invite to the platform David and Carla Smith. <laughs> Fireman, entrepreneur, business owner, stay-at-home mom. And somebody says, well, what's that about? Well, we're going to tell you about it. Because that's just as important as everything else. Somebody say amen. Amen. <laughs> uh, next, I would like to the plat invite to the platform Shay Fisher. If you would, please come, Shay. Shay is the grants and contracts coordinator for the Office of Biostatistics at St. Jude Hospital. Now, let me tell you exactly what that means. It means she gets the money so they can do the research. So... Everybody say, Shay's an important woman. Everybody say, important. <laughs> All right, and finally, certainly last but not least, uh, I want to invite uh, Jody and Dr. Glenn Fitter to the platform this morning. <laughs> Jody is a phenomenal health trainer expert in helping folk arrive at a place of wholeness and wellness uh, physically. And uh, Dr. Glenn Fitter certainly has a reputation in our community for being able to take a Votech school and turn it into you to a university. And so let's give all these folks on our panel a hand this morning. Everybody uh, should have a microphone in between all these couples and we'll share back and forth. Let me move a little bit over here to the side. Let me want to say today, um, let me say I'm so grateful for having each and every one of you to participate with us. We want to uh, make this time together very practical in terms of how we're dealing with uh, issues of vision and strategy and how we've dealt with opposition at times in our lives and, and especially from last Sunday's message, uh, how we finish well, what we can do to be a, it's one thing to start, how many of you know you can, you can start something, but to actually finish and follow through, everybody say follow through. And so those are critical principles of the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to go ahead and put uh, uh, Ben on the spot over here, and, and we're just going to start with the, the young guy first, and I just want to say, first of all, how proud we are. We have several very amazing graduates uh, in Victory Church, but we are especially proud of Ben. There's greatness and destiny on this young man's life, and I'd like if you'd take a moment, Ben, and tell us, you know, there's a whole lot, typically, that 18-year-olds are out doing that are not digging in to be able to make the grades, to be the valedictorian, to, to lead young student leaders in the student council. How has your faith and vision for your life helped you to accomplish this? Well, I mean, the biggest part of it for me is that I know if I go out and do something on a Saturday night or if I stay up all out Friday night doing something I know I shouldn't, I, I couldn't live with myself if I, if I walked in here on Sunday morning and got on stage in front of everybody because I know in my heart that what I've done I shouldn't have been doing. And it doesn't matter if anybody else looks at me and doesn't know that. I know I can't live with myself if I personally do that. And so that's what that's what draws me to um, keep living the life I do. Um, and another part of it is that if I see somebody in a position that's ahead of me or it's in front of me 
and I know I can do that job myself or I can do something better, then I can't live with myself if I just sit there and let it keep going. I have to take action and change it and do it the way I see fit because if there's always, if everything keeps going as it always is, nothing changes, there's no progress, then you can never move forward. And so if you have a vision, if you have a vision, say you need to do something differently, then you need to take charge and do that. And that's what I do, whether it's school, if I see somebody doing better than me, then I say, hey, how can I improve myself? How can I study better to, um, to get ahead of them or to do that? Um, or even if it's music, I'm surrounded by people that I know have years and years more skill than I do. And so I just look around and say, hey, what are they doing? How can I, how can I learn how to do that? Um, what makes what they're doing different than what I'm doing? How can I learn from them? How can I apply that to what I do myself? And so that's what drives me in every area of what I do. So would you say that uh, as well as starting with a gift, uh, the ability to be able to do what you've done and hard work, you've had to remain teachable? Yes. You, you have to, I have to um, be open to new ideas. Um, I can't just shut myself off and say, hey, I'm the master at this because, no, I'm not. I'm not the master at anything I do. Um, there's always going to be somebody better than me, but I can always strive myself to be the person that's better than somebody else. I can always work to improve myself to make sure that I'm still learning as a follower of Christ as well as everything else I do. Okay, young Jedi, you've done a great job <laughs> getting us getting getting us started this morning let's just open it up to the rest of the panel and i'd like for you along the way to maybe share a little bit about what you do and who you are and what what's on your heart this morning um being teachable with your vision i mean i, I doubt that any of you sitting here this morning started out with the complete picture but somewhere along the way things began to open up how important was being teachable to each of you anybody who wants to jump in here Breaker, breaker. <laughs> um, I, I have to um, share with you all that um, I didn't want to do what I'm doing. So, and, and when Pastor was preaching about Nehemiah, it so struck home because I'm one to um, just walk around and try and figure out my calling. And for this particular situation, um, I didn't even have a job, but was selective enough that I didn't want to write grants anymore. And had even gone through a one-day um, interview and told them at the end, I appreciate your time, but I, I don't want to do this. But, um, and that's kind of like what I think um, happened with Nehemiah. The king had to ask him what's wrong. I knew um, that I'd been offered the job, I just didn't want to do it, and I think I didn't want to work that hard. But, oh, Lord, have I seen how what I can do affects a multitude. Wow. I get out of my car every morning. I say, Lord, my job is easy today because there are so many people on that campus, they're fighting for their life. Yes. And I can go in there with good conscience and work with 12 faculty members that Lord knows aren't easy to deal with. <laughs> and we come up with things that brings in multi-million dollars. So uh, 
it can be someone else's dream for you. It can be someone else's calling, and it can be you not wanting to do it. But once you get in there and dig in, God's going to use you for the purpose that he's got for you. Beautiful, beautiful. Somebody else? I think in being teachable, uh, one thing that I've learned in myself, I'm a paramedic here at Westminster Fire Department, and uh, me and Carla own a business here in town. Uh, as far as being teachable, uh, just in growing a business, there was never joy in the growth of the business. Um, as In fact, it's been miserable from time to time. But in being teachable, uh, what I've learned is being able to meet a need and, uh, and being out and being plugged in and plugged into the community and, and finding when you're in that home, uh, not just maybe you're there to fix the air conditioner, but, uh, but somebody has some pain and you're able to spend some time with that customer wow. and, and able to get plugged in and, and speak some light. And, and so I've decided that, you know, there, there will never be enough vans, there will never be enough sales, you know, to satisfy, you know, the, the personable side. But it's, I want to be a light. And whether that's with an HVAC business or without it, um, you know, you want to be a light to the community and be plugged in and, and be able Amen. to. Amen. So you need to be teachable in that sense to, to know that, you know, maybe this just didn't the path. I'm not here just to repair these air conditioners, but to speak light into this individual that's suffering or, you know, this 80-year-old this, this widow that you really needed some time, you know, or that medical call, it may have been the same thing. It, uh, it wasn't just the chest pain that I was there for, but maybe to uh, just, you know, speak a word to somebody and, and share some time with them. So really it's being sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord and to lead you besides meeting the immediate physical need. Sometimes you get to go a little further and be able to talk to people and pray for them. That's Ab absolutely. There's, there's times and, uh, you know, on the medical side and, and what we do, we have to process a lot of things. And, you know, on those days that we, you know, question, why do I even do this? You know, mornings like this morning, running on two hours of, of an, a little two-hour nap and in the last 24 hours. So, wow. you know, these mornings are hard to get up and go, but it's that, you know, it's that day that, you know, we're able to sit down with that homeless guy. We ran on a call, but we're able to buy him a, a warm meal and, That's great. Um, you know, and, and maybe there was someone that had an addiction problem and we were able to get them some help and not just send them to the hospital where they're getting, you know, maybe brushed through and overlooked, but maybe get them into a rehab facility. And, you know, and we're able to be a light other than just meeting that medical need, but, Excellent. you know, looking for that and being teachable and having eyes that are open to okay. see those needs. That's good. Thank you. Jody? <laughs> and uh, I mean, I always joke with uh, Mr. Kennedy, did he ever get to tell him to do that or hire him? I don't know. <laughs> so, man, she did just walk into my room one night and say, I need a PE quotation. Do you want to do it? I'm going, okay, yeah, you're joking with me. Yeah, do not do this to me. <laughs> Mm. as I did it 
right. That's beautiful. Wonderful. Thank you, Jody. <laughs> Dr. Fender? Yes, sir. Wow. <laughs> but I knew it could help a lot of people. Our local board hired me. The state of Arkansas hired Casey Boyd and said you can't hire him. He's too
forces and put them in that yard and saw the water drop. Mm. Matter of fact, we had to re recommend that it stay closed. Um, that was in 1992. In 1993, were, the state was handing out $150 million to localities all over the country, and we weren't eligible because of the technicalities. And I didn't know how to fix it. I asked everybody to help us fix it. Nobody would help. It's beautiful. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, I think it would probably be easy in the middle of just the amazing stories that we're hearing, and we're going we're gonna to come to Dr. Kedge in just a second, but I want to say, you know, Carla, as a stay-at-home mom, does this make you feel like less than? Because of the mission you have? No. Tell me why not. Well, because I'm awesome first. <laughs> but. <laughs> no, I have to think that. Every, if you want to be teachable, give birth. Um, <laughs> he even told me. He said, God sent me to babysit you. I said, I didn't know. I need to be watched that closely. Um, but no, he, um, it really makes you take an inward look at yourself and how you treat others outwardly. Um, also, he's with me on a daily basis, so he sees how I interact with people. Um, so you have to lead by example. And um, we have started, not only do I stay at home with him, but I also homeschool him as well. We just completed kindergarten. And, uh, dude, that was hard, all that. Um, no, but he, so he's with me, like, all the time. And so he develops some of my characteristics. He sees how I interact with other people. And so the main thing that I have to stay focused on is God. 
so that I can teach him about the Lord. And if you want to hear somebody talk to you about Jesus, you talk to Carson Smith because he will talk to you about it. So what I've done Amen. is... <laughs> And it's not just me, it's glory to God because he has helped me work on myself because I've got somebody who's watching me all the time. And we're supposed to love one another. And that has helped me love my community because I'm showing him because I don't want him to be broken. That quote, um, it's better to build stronger children than it is to repair broken men. And I look around at our culture and see how young men are and young women too. Um, I want him to be a man when he grows up. I want him to have responsibility. I want him to Hit be responsible the pause for button. his Did you hear community. what she just said? It's easier to build stronger children than it is to repair broken men. So never think for a second that what you're doing at home is any less than in terms of advancing the kingdom of God. You, you are pouring into the next generation. Amen. And I think, I kind of feel like I was given the hardest one. Because I don't want to get in that debate of, you know, working moms do better than stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home moms are better than working moms. Because we all have a job as parents. Sure. And that is to raise our children in the name of the Lord. And that is my main focus. Um, I try, me personally, kind of like Ben, I try my best to do everything with excellence. And if there is a book I can read or a blog or another parent, I guarantee you all the homeschool moms here have had me come up, so what do you use? What do you do? Because I want to learn from them, not necessarily so I can do exactly what they're doing, but so that I can formulate a plan for for our home, for what we do at our home. And just like Nehemiah had the people building their gate outside their home, that's what I feel like I'm doing. Um, I'm building my gate. We're we're building our gate. (laughs) I'm I'm building the gate out front of my house. I'm preaching. (laughs) (laughs) and there's going to be people who just like Dr. Finner said you know there's going to be people that think you're crazy for being different in this culture but isn't that what we're called to be we're called to be to yes I'm very peculiar sign me up for weird okay because I want to be different I want my son to be that light for the world and that's what I'm going to leave as my legacy you know, he's a blessing to us. Oh, I knew I was going to do it. Amen. <laughs> Don't cry. He's, he was our miracle. He's my blessing. And when I go to do something, I put all I have into it. And so God gave me this child to raise, to teach, to be a decent human being. Man, that's a lot. It's hard. This has been the most challenging thing I've ever done in my life. And I've done, I was a respiratory therapist for 13 years. I worked in the hospital, and I also taught it. Um, sometimes that was easier (laughs) than some days I've had at home. But just in that moment, I have to remember that he's going to grow up one day. And my job is to prepare him for this world, to be confident and to be able to go forth in this world and be the light that that Jesus has called him to be. Beautiful. So he's going to have to leave my nest (laughs) one day. Great, great. Dr. Hedge? I think that um, one thing is important to remember is that you have to be teachable, but God also uses all different people to teach you. Um, Some of the biggest lessons I've learned have been, one of them was from a newborn. 
A newborn. A newborn that, um, oh, I'm not thinking about it, but he uh, was born with this catastrophic illness. And I remember after we stabilized him and I had him flown out, I went and called a friend and just asked, you know, what could God's purpose be that this child's going to suffer for the short time that he'll live? And it's just, it was horrible. We talked for a little bit, and then she called me about six months later. And she said, I know you can't say, but I know they were talking about this baby. And she was four states away. And I watched over the course of this child's life a year him bring a community together. Hold your mic up a little bit. Lead people to Christ. I mean, more families got to see what true love was from this family. Yeah. That, and learn about Christ than most of us will ever mm. share. So I think that it's important. Beautiful, beautiful. We have a question that's been texted in. If you guys put the number on the screen, if you guys would like to add to our panel discussion with a question today. Pastor Haley? We've had some great questions come in. Just like Nehemiah faced some struggle, some opposition um, when he answered God's call for his life, I know as leaders that you all face struggles in opposition. What are some of the struggles that you've had to overcome to be, to be a leader in your field? Anybody? I think for me, uh, learning to be a leader is, uh, well, as far as being teachable, but just laying down self, you know, and, uh, and not having the selfish desires, but knowing that I'm being a leader um, for, other, for other people, you know, and for their progression. Because it's never been about me, and I've always been the person. It's, it's kind of odd to, I guess, have such a giving heart, and it's, it is awkward to try to be a business owner with a giving heart. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's like, you know, you, because my most enjoyable times have been with nothing, you know, when, when I have nothing or I can give it all, and that's what I like to do. So it's hard to be profitable. <laughs> it's not a very good balance. But I, but that's I think uh, for myself is, is just being able to lay down self as you know. Dr. Fender.
make the tough decisions, not based on what you want to do or what somebody else wants to do, but what is it that God wants me to do in the place that he has, has provided for me. So at the end of the day, uh, no, I, I hate hurting, <laughs> hurting people's feelings. I hate making tough decisions that may change somebody's life. But if God puts me where I am to have the responsibility of doing the best I can for the kids that we're supposed to be educating, and I don't do that, then I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Someone else? Jody? Well, this is, I hate to bring up my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and they sort of avoid me because they don't want to, you know, they don't want to be around all that. And that's not true at all about me, you know. But I've, I have more people say, I don't want to talk to you about food or I don't want to talk to you about exercise because you make me really uncomfortable. And that's not me really at all. But once they, once they get to know me, they know I'm not like that. Right, right. You know, <laughs> so then we get to talking about a lot of other things, just about normal, you know, working out. So a big obstacle for you then would be people's perception yes. that you have to come across, overcome, and get past that. Right, yeah. and it's happened every school I've ever went wow. to. And whenever I took this job, they thought I was a TV celebrity. <laughs> Listen, I totally get it because people have a set of expectations about preachers too, and uh, I, I, I do every day. I do all I can to live that down, because they have just like you walk onto a, a used car lot, you expect that used car salesman to treat you a certain way. No offense to the people who sell used cars, we love you. You have to live it down too. We all have things that we have to come across and uh, overcome. Yeah. Beautiful job what you do, Jody. Let's give her a hand. Amen. Yeah, building upon that, you know, sitting here thinking about, you know, what is something that I have to overcome as opposition, I've just narrowed it down to overcoming standards that people have or um, certain stigma that people attach to just because of who you are or what you've already done. Um, when you think of someone's at the top of their class, you don't see them going out riding a four-wheeler on Saturday mornings or sleeping until one o'clock when they when they tired or um, just 
not doing the things that I typically do. You don't hear them with a really heavy southern accent where people tell you when you give your speech that they had to listen just to understand what you were saying. <laughs> um, but uh, part of it's overcoming opposition, um, certain standards. Um, I have certain standards that I have, but people don't see those same things. And so it's sticking to what I believe in, what my standards should be. Your convictions, yeah. Is how I see um, building success. I started putting a button-up shirt on this morning, and I looked down and I said, this isn't who, this isn't my definition of success. Um, I just, that's one of my standards. I don't think success is defined by what you dress as. There's not standards that you have to live by just to, to be successful. I'm, I feel just as fine as I do in these tennis shoes and jeans as I would in a suit. There, there's nothing extra about that that puts you ahead of anybody else when your success is defined by what you've already done, what you're doing. Um, it's just overcoming standards that people have. You know, I have a, I generally dislike reading. You might not think that from coming from someone who just graduated with like a 4.3 GPA, but I dislike reading. You know, it's overcoming standards people have. Um, putting on college applications, you know, what books have you read? Um, what do you enjoy doing in your free time? Um, I have to really sit there and think about it because in my free time, I enjoy just sitting out on the river fishing. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's overcoming the standards that people have for me and for um, just anything, you like playing keyboards. Um, people say, you know, what do you like to play on keyboards? You know, what, what is there to play besides Beethoven? I said, well, <laughs> I just learned a new Boston song, but then I had to explain to them who Boston is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so it's just figuring out who you are. That boy has great taste in music, <laughs> I just want to say. <laughs> it, it's learning who you are and sticking to it to make your own success. Yeah. Um, I think when you're are in a position of leadership, one of the things you have to remember is to treat everyone with kindness and grace yeah. um, and respect. Lots of times you'll see a provider go in and they kind of come out of a room and they'll demand stuff of the staff. And I mean, honestly, I wouldn't like it if someone talked to me that way. And so I think remembering that and when you deal with people in the community, that you don't know what someone's going through or where they've been. And so to judge them in some way for their actions, I don't think is going to ever lead them to Christ. Pastor Haley, another question? And that's come in. Um, sometimes God gives us a vision that doesn't make sense. It can be easy to get other believers on board, but what about when you work with non-believers? How do you get them on board with a God-given vision? Let's start with Shay. She's feeling the unction there. Wow. 
Wow. So would you say you've prayed and served to serve them and they, they've won your respect? Yes, sir, but I had to humble myself. Okay. That's beautiful, Shay. Thank you. In the name of Jesus. Dr. Finner, would you would you take that? I, I mean, I think everybody up here has embraced this, but I think probably you've, in terms of the whole community seeing it, how have you, as a man of faith with vision, carried Mid-South Community College, which has now become Arkansas State University Mid-South, how, how did you embrace non-believers in the middle of that vision to, and get them on board with you? Well, I think there are some things that as leaders God wants you to focus on. And then there are other things as leaders that God wants you to turn over to Him. And uh, the first thing I had to learn about dealing with particularly higher education people is that, you know, they are little every morning like everybody else and probably not a whole lot different than dealing with folks in the medical community. I've got some good friends in that community that pretty much feel like they're smarter than the rest of the world. But what you discover is that everybody wants something to believe in. Everybody has a God-shaped vacuum in their heart. Yes. And Beautiful. God has the this thing of me, I have to trust that he's going to give me everything that I need to accomplish that thing. Um, I think that one of the things that you have to do when you're a leader is that you have to always lead by example. And so it's not just the big things. The big things are easy. It's the little things. The day-to-day um, -day things that the people that you're leading see you do and how you respond to certain situations that makes a difference. Beautiful. All right. Let me, let me give one more question here, and then we're going to close the service and get ready to enjoy our fellowship. Um, 
the, the, the last message we did in Nehemiah was the art of finishing well, and we talked about him being clear-seeing, plain-speaking, firm-dealing, and God-honoring. I would like for just each of you, every one of you, if you had the opportunity, Ben, to a young student you were trying to inspire, to, to dig in and do their very best in their academics, uh, Dr. Hedge, someone who's in the medical community, so on and so forth, all the way down the line, if you're attempting to encourage someone who is in your field, in your area of expertise or where you're serving, and by the way, every one of these areas are things that God is concerned about. Don't you think for a second that educating a child isn't advancing the kingdom of God because you're driving away ignorance and you're enlarging the capacity for a greater future in a child's life when you're an educator. Uh, what Jody does is certainly a kingdom vision because uh, if we would do what Jody does, we would not... Now, you're, you're always going to have a job because like Jesus said, the poor you always have with you, well, guess what? The sick you always have. It's easier to... Um, train a healthy person to stay healthy than it is to heal a sick person. And so every one of these people represents something that has to do with advancing God's kingdom. This is what we try so hard to separate ourselves from is that old sacred versus secular mentality that sacred is Sunday morning and secular is all week long. Luther said it this way. He said, make your every days holy to the Lord. So whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. So Every one of you in our close, what is one sentence? If you were speaking to, to encourage a young person who was going to do what you're doing or what you've done, what could you tell them in the way of something that would help them accomplish it and finish well? What is, what is the one thing that you would tell a younger person who is setting out to do some of the things you've accomplished? What is one thing you would tell them they need to be able to do to finish well? Ben, we'll start with you. I would say, um, and Ms. Shea touched on this, um, it says in Matthew, if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled, but if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. You have to put yourself in a position that you're not the one promoting yourself, but you're doing a work good enough that others want to put you first. Um, I, I had to say that, um, you know, I was, as I come through school, I was 12 years worth say, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to be sharing the gospel with people, but all of my friends already go to a church. I'm not sure how to do that. Um, I don't know how to reach them. But because I've humbled myself for so long, when I was put in a position that I was able to speak, I spoke to 1,500, 2,000 people, a uh, speech that was laced with God's truth. Yes. And Amen. It's, it's just being exalted by other people because you put yourself in a position to have them do that. I think we need to give Kurt and Rhonda Baser a hand for the fine young man they raised. Amen. If we can just we can just go down the line with this, Dr. Hedge, what one thing would you share? Um, I think that every day you need to start off putting God first and asking Him to guide you. If you start depending on your skill set or your knowledge base, you're going to make mistakes because we're human. And you have so many outside sources coming in, so you have to always put God first. Beautiful. Okay. Carla? I guess as a, from my standpoint as a stay-at-home mom and a homeschooling mom, um, that would be it, too, as well. You know, first thing, dedicate your day to the Lord. But just 
um, I know Carson's favorite saying from one of the lessons we did, it was turtle. I don't quit, I persevere. So you stay consistent, you persevere in the face of trial, and you get on your knees and you put your face in that Bible and know you're human, you're going to make mistakes, but God gave you that child to raise for a reason. That particular child with that particular personality, um, and that's, that's your priority. God first, family second. Amen. David? Yes, just uh, like Carla was saying, I mean, being the word, when I was uh, reading through Nehemiah, Nehemiah 9, when they were, uh, they read the word for uh, 25% of the day, or one quarter of the day. And there's days that I struggle to read a verse, you know, or get a verse or try to do a memory verse. But to think that they were in the word reading 25% of the day and then they worship 25% of the day, that's uh, pretty amazing. So, you know, being in the word is uh, very important. And then kind of spilling into the last question also is uh, just remembering favor. Um, when you're, you know, when your heart is pure and you're, you're committed. And I want to think some days as a salesman that I'm a good salesman, but I'm not. It's always been because I've been uh, faced with opposition. And, uh, and it's just the favor of the Lord that's been in those dealings. There was nothing that I could have done alone to persuade them in the direction that we went. It was the favor of the Lord. And uh, I think that's very important to remember that Beautiful. and being able to recognize. Beautiful. That day he's referring to was a special dedication day. He's not saying that we ought to spend 25% of every day in the Word, another 25% worship. That would be 12 hours and you wouldn't have any time to work or sleep or be with your family. Uh, on a special day they did that, yeah. Uh, just like today we've set aside to come in and worship the Lord. All right, Shay? I would say to be humble and then be still so that you can hear and know and feel how God's going to work with you. Because in, in you doing that, you're going to find out what you're supposed to be doing, and then he's going to show you how to do it, the strategy. So just um, and get you a really cool pair of gold shoes too. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Beautiful. Just be still and be humble. But Amen. then you got to work. Jody. Great. You have to let them know that God's important. Mm-hmm. And I think probably one of the coolest things that ever happened to me is uh, I'll probably take all of you in here. But this little, uh, well, he wasn't little, he was an eighth grader. And Mr. Kemp, I think he's going to make a call to you. Okay. That's beautiful. As educators and only educators are called to the second most powerful calling on this earth, and we're not called to preach 
very difficult job. We have no, most of you aren't in the classroom, have no concept how our, our teachers have to work to overcome the rest of the insanity in our world. Um, but one a story that I love to tell people um, about how important an educator can be in someone's life. Uh, it's a story that's um, written in, in a book, but it happened in my hometown. You know, it was very important to me. Uh, when I first heard it as a young child, and it's never, it's never lost that significance to me, and I always like to share it with folks. This uh, boy later as an older man was writing the story of the soles of one of his boots laughing because his parents couldn't afford clothes. Uh, and I won't, most of you don't remember the old Ringer washing machine uh, talking about how his bib overalls, the flaps on those would, would be bent by the, the Ringer washing machine and he couldn't keep his, the bib of his overalls up and how embarrassed he was. He had a reading problem. He stuttered. When he was poor, his clothes weren't always clean. In a classroom uh, with the most revered teacher in the whole community, um, whose name is now on the outside of an auditorium, by the way, um, because of what this guy did years later. But he said there was a time when he had to read aloud in class. And the first time he had to read aloud, he said it was pitiful, it was, it was terrible, he stuttered, he couldn't pronounce the words, he couldn't read, and kids all made fun of him. His turn again in two weeks, and he was just he was physically sick, physically ill, uh, waiting for that to come back. He walked in the morning that he knew he had to leave, and the teacher said, son, come up here in the front. And she looked at the entire class, and she said, I want you all to close your eyes and listen, because I love the sound of his voice. He said later, that changed his life forever. That young man was Dale Bumper, who eventually gave what this country considers to be the greatest speech in the history of the United States Senate, defending Bill Clinton and his impeachment. He said he never would have had the confidence to ever stand up in front of anyone if it hadn't been for that teacher. Wow. for this great panel that we've enjoyed. Have you gotten something out of this? We're going to let them uh, go back to their seats today as we uh, dismiss the panel. We just want to thank you for taking this opportunity to ask questions and to consider what are some things that I could do. Nehemiah saw a need and he caught a vision. Out of that vision, he put together a strategy and when the appropriate time came, the king asked him what he could do, and he was ready to go and do it. And a cupbearer became a builder. And that builder accomplished the vision of what he was attempting to set out to do, and he became a governor. And I, I bet that if we had time this morning and we'd ask other questions, we would probably hear stories from each of these people how along the way something changed, but taking action in one area brought them to a door that opened, and they took that path
and then something else opened up in developing a new business, in advancing Mid-South Community College, in becoming a PE coordinator for West Memphis Schools, in growing Delta HVAC Mechanical Company, uh, in, in treating sick patients in Four City with Dr. Chelsea Hedge, uh, finishing a uh, high school degree and doing it well as a valedictorian, gaining millions and millions of dollars and working with difficult leaders for the purpose of uh, a funding research so sick babies can be cured. Now, every one of these things are an example of the kingdom of God. Now, I haven't left out, I left it last because I want to emphasize the importance of it, and that is the work that a mom does in the home because you very well may be raising a future Senator Dale Bumpers, or you may be raising a Jody Fenter or a whomever around this room. There are a lot of folks who could have sat on this panel this morning and shared stories about visions that God has given you and strategies you've put in place and opposition that's come against you and things that you've overcome. And so we're grateful to have heard the testimony. Uh, I think probably the bottom line of the most powerful things that we've heard are humbling ourselves, being teachable, and then depending on God, looking to the Lord to do and be what we cannot do and be. And so I hope you've gotten something out of this this morning, out of Nehemiah and the neighborhood. Because remember, this is not about the focus on gathering on Sunday and, and going, oh, wow, that's great. I, I could never do what Pastor Michael does. But you know what? Most of the people in the room are not called to do, but you have the greater job. This, this is not, I don't believe this is the one on the pedestal. Matter of fact, I, I refuse to be pedestalized. We're, I'm an ordinary, everyday person who has struggles just like you do, and we do everything we can to keep it real, to keep it 100, as the kids say, here at Victory Church, and to let you know that there's not one perfect person in this room except for Jesus. Come on, somebody say amen. You know, the, the, the real goal of any coach that you get on a field in order to be able to discern the gifts and talents of young men on the football field and put them in the right place so you're able to build a team that can take it to a championship. It's not about uh, everybody becoming a coach. It's about a coach who has the ability to, to plug in every one of those young men in the place where they will function best for the betterment of the whole team. And so that's, I'm, I'm Ezra here, okay? But all of you guys are Nehemiah in the neighborhood. You are called to go and look at what's broken and, and be the hands of the Lord, be the feet of God in our community and see God reap a harvest for the sake of the kingdom because you can touch people that I could never touch. They're folk who wouldn't stop and listen to me. But you have an ability where you are, in the cubicle at work, uh, on the corner lot there in your neighborhood, uh, in, 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 the, in the school this, as we end this year, sometime this summer at the swimming pool, who knows? Just pay attention. Be sensitive. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you because He will open doors and give you opportunities to be and do what He's called you to be if you will just pay attention and listen. A lot of people around here need what you have. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. All right. Let's, let's close this service this morning and in a moment of prayer and reflection, I'd just like for us to go before the Lord and say, Father, help us to assimilate these principles. Not, it's not about memorizing and being able to restate it or regurgit, 
but it's about just catching the spirit of this thing. And so, Father, we bow our hearts together in prayer.